So Jesus and Peter are having a conversation. And we're going to turn to it in a minute, but I just kind of want you to sit there and hear it. It says, Peter came and he said to Jesus, Lord, how often should or how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? And Jesus said to him, I, I, I don't say to you up to seven times, but 70 times seven. And then Jesus goes into this illustration. I mean, he starts giving literally, he illustrates the point. We're talking in the Here and Now series about all the statements that Jesus made about the kingdom of heaven. You've heard the kingdom of heaven is like or the kingdom of God is like. And so Jesus says, for this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves, his servants. And when he had begun to settle them, one servant who owed him 10,000 talents. So let me tell you what that would be the equivalent of. It would be like a... um, a life's worth of wealth to the power of like four or five, some even say 10. It's unpayable, right? He owed him 10,000 talents, and he says, but since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and his children and all that he had and repayment to be made. So the slave fell to the ground, and he prostrated himself, before him is saying, have patience with me. I will repay you everything. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and he released him and he forgave the debt. But that slave went out and he found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. It's the equivalent of like 10 days worth of work. And he seized him and he began to choke him saying, pay back what you owe. And his fellow slave fell to the ground, and he began to plead with him, saying, Have patience with me. I'll repay you. But he was unwilling. And he went, and he threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. So when the fellow servants saw that what had happened, they were deeply grieved. And they came and reported it to their Lord, all that had happened. And so he summoned them back, and, and, and the, the, the Lord, the king, said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave all the debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his Lord, moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed to him. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. So it's a heavy story. We we all know, we all know we should forgive. We all know that. I, I could give you 18 reasons why, I don't know that it would even matter. We all know we should. But there's, there's a lot going on here. Today I want to talk to you about the why of forgiveness. Why forgiveness matters to God. We know we should do it, but have you ever actually thought about why? 
And so we're going to work with that. That story that I just read was out of Matthew chapter 18. It's the very first gospel. If you have your Bible, go to Matthew chapter 18. And that's where we're going to be dealing with it this morning. And, and I think w- one of the hardest things about forgiveness, at least it has been in my own life, I, I want you to understand something this morning. I don't want you to think that I am situationally unaware What I mean by that is, it's really easy for preachers to get up here and say, well, you should forgive. But at the same time, I know what you're thinking. Jason, you don't know what they did. You don't know. And I don't. I don't know. Being a pastor in some shape, form, or fashion, really, since my early, early 20s, I can tell you, I've run across tons, thousands of stories, thousands of stories of people that have been honestly hurt, badly hurt, sometimes really badly hurt, sometimes just hurt in a little way, sometimes just really disappointed, sometimes just grieved a lot. But I want you to know, I understand that it's a big ask sometimes. Forgiveness. It's a big ask. And I don't want you to think I'm unaware of it. But there is something happening here in this passage that is really interesting to me. And it's in that very last verse of Matthew chapter 18. Jesus said, you must forgive from the heart. I'm going to call it the heart blocker. Okay? The heart blocker. See, the the thing about forgiveness here that has to happen, it's that one little phrase Jesus says about forgiving, and then he gives a qualifier. It's not just forgiving, it's forgiving from your heart. What he's talking about is the soul. He's talking about the inner self. Heart is another word for soul. Mind, heart, will, emotions. The deepest inner part of you. He's not, you know what he's not saying right there? Here's what he's not saying. And this is where I think a lot of us, including myself, no kidding, this is where I go wrong. We sometimes look at, stay with me now, this is important truth to grasp. We look at forgiveness as transactional. I said I forgave them, and so therefore I must have forgiven them. I said I forgave them, so therefore I must have forgiven them. Forgiveness is not a transaction. Forgiveness is transformation. So you need to understand the difference. There's a big difference. Jesus, that's why Jesus gave the qualifier. No, no, no. You can't just say, oh, I forgive them. No, he's saying you have to forgive from the heart. Because I think the whole problem, here's why why we struggle. This is the heart blocker. This is why, I mean, at least for me, maybe it is for you. I would think it probably is the same for you. I think the reason we struggle so much with forgiveness at times is because there's something in the human nature, there's something in the human psyche that tells us, yeah, you don't know what they did, but if, you did, but if, if I actually forgive them, then it really makes it all like it never happened and it's all okay. There's something in our mind that says, It's not like I want to go on hating this person for the rest of my life, but the truth of the matter is, if I forgive them, well, then it just makes it all okay. And I want to tell you, friends, that's not true. It's not okay. What actually happened did happen. 
It's a part of your story, like it or not. It did happen. For, forgiveness is not just erasing the past, some cavalier way of saying, oh, you know, that, that thing that I did to my family or that thing that I did to my closest friend or that thing my closest friend did to me or that thing somebody in my family did to me or that thing my, my wife did or that thing that I did to my wife or, or whatever was done to me when I was a kid or, or whatever that bully did to me in high school or whatever my dad said to me and never loved me. It did, it's not okay, and it's not. It is not okay. It is not okay. But that's not the point of forgiveness. Forgiveness is not about erasing the past. Forgiveness is about releasing the pain to God. You hear what I'm saying? Forgiveness is not about erasing the past. Because you can't. <laughs> some of the stuff some of you have been through, no, oh no, there's no erasing that. But it is about releasing the pain. So we talk a lot in this kingdom series about this sale right here. Um, you know, we, we kept that up here because this really for this whole series about, we talked about on August 22nd about the fact that if we want God to use us, if you want God to use you, only God can make the wind blow, but you got to set the sail. So this whole kingdom series, we're going to be talking about how to position yourself where God can use you. So if God's going to make the wind blow into your life of power, well, you've got to have a pure heart, and you've got to have a restored heart, and so you've got to set the sail. So the question is, how do I set the sail of forgiveness? How do I go about doing that? How do I raise my sail for, for, for God to blow the spirit wind into my life that I could actually begin to forgive? Well, I'm going to give you a, a few key truths this morning, and then we're going to unpack this story. I would say to you, we all know we should, right? We all know we should forgive. How do we, how do we get moving? How do we, how do we set the sail for forgiveness? I would, say, I would say to you, first of all, start by talking to God. When it comes to forgiving someone, even if that someone was 10, 12, 15 years ago or just 10 months ago, you start by talking to God. Because let me tell you why. I really wonder, I, I really think most of us as Christians, we don't see prayer as a way of engaging the problem. We, we tend not to look at, when you look at the story that Jesus told, we, 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 really, we really don't see prayer as a change agent, right? Did you ever go to chemistry in, 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 in high school? I did. I wasn't that great at it. Um, I knew once I had to try to memorize that periodic table that God was calling me to preach and, and and uh, so that was just irrelevant. See, that's, by the way, that's how you get through tough subjects. If you don't like them, just say, oh, God's not calling me to this. It doesn't matter. Right? That's how you get through tough subjects. Uh, I, I'm a full-service pastor. I'm just trying to help you with your schoolwork. Okay? Or any of you have kids struggling in school, it doesn't matter. Don't worry about that. You know? Who cares about algebra? You know. Um, so, wow. That's such a bad thing to say. Um, start by talking to God. Start by talking to God. Because so, so when I took chemistry, you know, you would do these experiments. You'd go into the lab, right? You'd go into the back room back there, and they'd have all these flash things and these Bunsen burners and all this stuff. And, and then they would set up, my teacher, Miss Weaver, would set up these experiments. And then you would, she said, okay, class, now, 
I want you to take that dropper and I want you to drop it in there and watch what happens, right? And whammo, you know, stuff would happen. And, and then uh, that was really, oh, wow, that's really, you can set something off. You know, it's pretty cool. We don't see prayer that way. We don't tend to see, start talking to God as an agent of change because what we do in prayer a lot of times is what we think is prayer is often just venting. We're just venting to God. Venting about the problem. Venting about the problem. And you're allowed to vent to God. Yes, you are. But don't leave it there. I love what one of the, uh, the, the, pastor, one of the pastors, the key pastors at Saddleback, I've followed him for 20-plus years. His name is Tom Holliday. Tom Holliday said this about, about prayer. He said, so often we see prayer as something for bedtimes and bad times. It's really true. We see prayer as something for bedtimes and bad times. No, prayer can be the change agent. So start, start by talking to God. And then after you do that, I would say, you ready? I mean, if you really want, look, if you really want to, if you want to get over this mountain in your life, well, then go talk to them. Now, this gets really hard, isn't it? Because every time God's ever challenged me to go talk to somebody that I am not square with in my spirit, whether they did something or whether I did something, look, I do the same thing you do. I'm like, oh, come on. There's no way I got to go to them. Really? Can't you just like fix it in the heavenly realms somewhere? Because then it's going to get awkward for at least 20 minutes. And I don't know how they're going to take it. I don't know how I'm going to take it. And come on, God, come on. He never seems to honor that prayer. Um, You know. Jesus said a lot about this very issue. And I'll give you one little illustration of why this is such a big deal. And he brings it up in the strangest of contexts. He brings it up in the idea of worship, like what you came to do this morning. In the Sermon on the Mount, right out of the gate, Jesus said this in Matthew 5 on the screen. Therefore, if you are presenting your offering, there's the offering buckets over there. If you're presenting your offering at the altar, or you go to text to give, And there you remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your offering. Stop. Before you go to the altar. Stop the offering, therefore, before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother. And then come and present your offering. Jesus wasn't giving a metaphoric idea. This was not an illustration. It matters so much to God that you be right one to another that he would rather you do that before you bring your offering to him. That's how much it matters to him. So you got to go and you got to talk to the person. And you know why this is such a big deal? Because if you look in that same Sermon on the Mount, this is really interesting to me. When Jesus goes to the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about forgiveness in a couple of different ways. And, and then he goes into the model prayer. Now stay with me. you got to connect the dots here. You can do this. 
He goes into the model prayer. And if you notice in the model prayer later on in the Sermon on the Mount, there's really something suspicious about that prayer in that Jesus never uses the word I. He doesn't. Our Father who are in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. It's, I, it's ours, we, us. You know why? Because if we're going to be citizens of the kingdom of heaven, there's no way doing that on your own. There's no such thing as a solo citizen of heaven. Did you hear me? And Jesus isn't talking about heaven eternity. He's talking about the kingdom of God right here. He wasn't talking. He said, let your will be done where? On earth as it is in heaven. See, we are in, whether you like it, look, whether you like it or not, you are forever stuck with me. Amen. That's right. You are forever stuck and I'm forever stuck with you, said the prophet Huey Lewis, right? <laughs> 80s people will get that. I can't use that in the next service. They won't get it at all. The students will be in there. Who? The reality is I am stuck to you and you are stuck to me. And there's no getting out of that. What? This is something that I don't, this isn't in my notes, I'm, I'm going to riff for a minute. This is why I think so many people hop churches. They think it's going to get better somewhere else, and it won't, because we're all messed up. You can go to every church in this county, they're all the same, I promise. Some have a little theology over here. Some have a little theology over here. I say they're all the same. Then some are way over there. But, but the people are the same. We can be so kind and we can be so mean. We can love each other and then we can say stuff about each other. We all do it. We all do it. We fill in the blank. We judge each other. We all do it. So the reality is it matters to God that we work this out here because you know what? You're, look, you know what you don't get, by the way, since I'm still riffing a little bit? You know what you don't get when you just hop, 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 and stay on the back row? Not, not, that's metaphor for all of you back there. I'm not, I'm, I meant like when you, the back row mentality. I'm going to stay on the periphery. I'm going to stay on the edges of church. I'm not even going to get kind of in the middle, you know, because when you get in the middle, you find out stuff. And when you find out stuff about people, that's when it really starts, right? And so the reason that people want to stay on the edges, let me tell you what you're forfeiting. You hearing me? If you stay on the edges of kingdom life, you know what you don't get? You don't get the stories. You don't get the stories. When you, don't st when you don't get involved in a small group and you hop, hop, hop around churches, you know what you don't get? You don't get what it was like to pray your friends through a disease. 
You don't get how to walk with somebody when their daddy dies. You don't learn how to walk with people in tough times because you stay on the periphery. And that's not kingdom life. Kingdom life was one to another. Do you know how many times the Bible talks about in this metal? One another, one another, one another. It's everywhere. So we have to talk to each other to work it out. But now here's the big question. Well, then, Jason, even if I want to do that, how do I do that if that person is unreachable? Meaning, what if it's my dad and he's dead? What do I do? Or what if it's my cousin? What if it's that person that I worked with seven or eight years ago? They unfriended me on Facebook. I unfriended them too. And, and all of a sudden, like, I, I, there's, there's no communicado. I mean, there, there, there's nothing getting. And, and they're not going to talk to me. And I've tried before. And, and it doesn't work. And, and all. It, I, what if they're unreachable? Well, I'll give you one suggestion. It's worked for me. Write them a letter. Well, I don't know where to mail it. I know. Just write the letter. Write the letter. Stick it in a book. If they're dead, write them a letter. And tell them of the hurt and the pain and release them to God. See, forgiveness is not about erasing the past. It's about releasing the pain to God. Release them to God. That's what you have to do. Write them a letter. Tell them. Tell them. Tell them what, what happened. Tell them how you're working. Tell your mother who you never met because you're adopted how you've been mad all these years, but you're not going to be mad anymore. And thank you, Mom, even though I've never met you, that you didn't choose abortion. Thank you, Mom. Tell them. Write to them. You can start with that, and then you release them to God. And notice I said in releasing them to God over and over again. Because you know what I've learned about forgiveness? It's not transactional. It's not one and done. At least it's not with me. You know how I know when I'm finally getting over something, if somebody's, if I'm, if I'm, either I did something or somebody did something, but either way, there's nothing going on right there. You know how I know when I'm finally probably over it? When I drive down the road and their name comes to my mind and my mood doesn't change. I'm not kidding. They come to my mind and my mood doesn't change. If my mood changes or my attitude changes, Oh, I don't want to talk about this, God. Come on, really? I hadn't thought about that person in seven years. I know. But this Sunday, you're going to write a check. And you're going to walk out of here, going to put it in the Baptist bucket. And you better not. It's hard, isn't it? It's hard. You've got to release them to God over and over and over and over and over. You know what? Because if you don't, you know this thing doesn't get better, right? You do realize that. You do realize that resentment is the destination of the road you're on. Resentment, if you don't forgive and release it to God, you do realize where this is headed. 
resentment. And let me tell you something. Have you ever, have you ever, <laughs> of course you have, have you ever been around somebody that was just bitter? And they don't even know why. They're just mad. They've been mad their whole life that you've known them, and they're just mad right now. They're just mad. And have you ever noticed that they look at everything through the, fil- the, the filter of a victim? Somebody, they're always hot, bothered, something's upset, what's going on? It resentment's the road we're on. So here's the bigger question. We talked just for a minute there about how do I start setting the sail for forgiveness, but let's ask another question. Why? Why does God want me to do it? Why does God want me to set the sail of forgiveness? Why is this so important to him? Well, for that reason, let's actually look at the story because we haven't dealt with the story yet. Let's look at the story of the king and the servant and the servant number two, Number one and number two there. we got two different servants. There's a whole lot here that I could talk about in this story that we just read. It's a fascinating story. But you have this king. When you look at the story, you have this king who is this lord. He's a, he, he, he is a very compassionate man. Notice that when the debt came up and the guy begged for an extended contract, because that's really what he was doing, He was just begging to renew the contract. And it's really kind of absurd because this this guy couldn't pay this thing back in 10 lifetimes. I mean, in 10 lifetimes, he couldn't pay it back. So do you get an insight into the heart of the king here where he goes, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll extend it. Even if he had sold him, his wife, and his kids... There's no, there's no amount of money going to pay him back what was owed. And what's interesting even more is that he obviously trusted this guy because he ran up a tab like crazy. I mean, he spent a lot of this man's money. So, so you got this compassionate king, and then you have this servant, and there's a lot to say about the servant. But he, you know what he is at the end of the day? Here's what he is. He's everything The king wasn't. He wasn't compassionate. He goes out and sees one of his friends who who owed him a, a few dollars, and he chokes him. I'm talking about choking the guy. Violent, throws him in jail because he could. Because he could. And the guy does the same thing. He begs him to, I'll pay it off. It's, it's roughly 10 days worth of wages. And, and no, 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 no. I mean, he's everything the king wasn't. He's everything the king wasn't. It's, it's a fascinating story. But then there's something in here that I want you to look at. We're going to hone in on one little word this morning. And it is in verse 32. So it's when he calls him back, Right? He calls him back, and he says to him, You wicked slave. Now, that's a different word, isn't it? Because wicked is a spiritual condition. That's not about a debt. That's a spiritual issue. And the reason that he called him wicked is actually pretty simple. 
because for this servant, forgiveness was transactional. It was never transformational. You see, he, the reason he choked that guy and the reason he jumped on him and choked him and threw him in jail and treated him so harshly over literally pennies on the tens of thousands of dollars, the reason he did that was because he never knew what it was like to be forgiven himself. It was always a transaction. It was never transformation. He was never like the king. He, was ne- he didn't know the heart of the king. And the king even points it out. I did this for you, and you didn't do it for the other guy. Meaning, you don't even know how this works. You see, he was on the outside looking in. He, the reason he couldn't forgive was because he had never been embraced by forgiveness. He had never been covered in forgiveness. And, and so, you know, the Bible tells us that we are not of this world, right? The Bible tells us that we are heirs to the kingdom of God. Sons and daughters of God. The Bible tells us a lot about our changed nature. And so the reason this is such a big deal is this guy had never been perfected in love. And so what I'm going to do is I I, I don't often do this, but I, I want you to do something if you have a Bible this morning. I want you to flip to the right, close to the very end of the Bible, to a book called 1 John. 1 John. It's the very, toward the... Right before Revelation, it's right in there, almost to the very end of your Bible, First and Second John. There's, so we're going to look at First John for a minute this morning. And I want to talk to you about Scripture giving us a little more insight on how this works. In First John chapter 4, John, I've studied this book over and over again in my life, and I'm certainly not a master of this book, but I have studied it quite a bit. And, and in verse 7 of chapter 4, this is what 1 John tells us. The Word of God tells us, beloved, let us love one another. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And by this, the love of God was manifested in us, meaning it's proved out, there's proof of it, that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. And in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent us, and he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, the substitute. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No one has ever seen God at any time. If we love one another, God, here we go, ready, abides in us. See, the wicked servant didn't abide in the heart of the king. And his love, here's the key phrase, very important phrase in verse 12. God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. That's a really big word right there, perfected. The reason the slave couldn't forgive the other slave is because the love of the king, in this particular case being God, love hadn't been perfected. It hadn't been perfected. It hadn't been matured. It hadn't been worked out because it was never in his heart to begin with, right? So we pick it back up, verse 13. So by this, by what? By love, 
We know that we abide in him and he in us because he's given us of his spirit. Romans 8 tells us that my spirit testifies with his spirit that I am a child of God. See, that inner abiding tells us we do, we do abide. So we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him. Verse 16, we have come to know that, and we have believed that love which God has for us, God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God. Verse 17, by this love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. That is going to matter to you in a few seconds, so remember that. You want to have confidence when you stand before God? Then love is perfected because here's verse 18. There's no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment or punishment. The one who fears has not been perfected in love. Now, 1 John chapter 2, if you go backward to 1 John chapter 2, verse 5, John talks about it again. Whoever keeps his word, chapter 2, verse 5, whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has been truly perfected. And by this we know that we are in him. This is how I know, because God is love. And the one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as, he, as Jesus walked. Beloved, now this is important, listen to this, verse 7, 1 John 2, verse 7. Beloved, I'm not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment, which you've had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard. On the other hand, I am writing to you a new commandment, which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Perfected love. See, when you, when you are in Christ and you abide in Christ, let me tell you what, you, what does abide mean? It means to sit in, to stay in. It means there's a realm that you, it's not about not moving. It's, it's a presence as much as it is a position. So when you abide in Christ, let me tell you what you cannot tolerate. You cannot tolerate the antichrist. You cannot tolerate the anti-Jesus life. You cannot tolerate resentment, and you can't... Oh, you may have it, but you, you're not at home with it. It doesn't taste good. You want it out of your bones. You can't have it because you know the inner testimony of abiding with the Spirit. You can't do it. You can't, you can't do it. Whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has been perfected. So, so all of a sudden, the Antichrist life... It just doesn't, it doesn't fit anymore because you're a new creation. So as you think about Matthew 18, there's something I want you to hear. I don't want you to turn back there. You just read it. I want you to listen because there's something that Jesus said that even this week when I was studying this, man, I had to stop and go,
Like that's, that's a big deal. So at the end of the story, it says, the Lord is saying to the slave who didn't forgive, should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And the Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay that was owed. Well, he could never repay it, see. And then Jesus says this, my heavenly father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. See, that's the verse. My heavenly father will do to you what you have done because you couldn't forgive from the heart. So let me show you what this, how this plays out in real time. All right? So if for you, if, if for you, forgiveness has always been, no, I said I forgive them. If it's always been about a transaction, this is what Jesus is saying to you and to me. He's saying that because you never experienced forgiveness, you couldn't forgive. You hung on to hate all your life over that situation, which tells me you never abided in me because you, you're, you're comfortable with it. You don't, you, you don't mind it. You held on to resentment, and you continually hated on that person for what they did, you don't know what it's like to be forgiven, and so my heavenly Father will do the same to you. So what's going to happen? I told you a minute ago in 1 John, we have confidence in the day of judgment. So what's going to happen is you're going to get done with this life, and you're going to go over to the next life. And if those were the entrance gates to the kingdom of heaven, you're going to get there. No. I'm not making this up. Jesus said that. My heavenly Father will do the same to you. Why can't I go? I went through starting point. I went on mission trips. I tithed. Actually, more than that. I did. Why can't I go? Because you haven't been changed. You were never changed. You made a transaction with the church. You went up there and you went through that stuff and the waters. And... But you've never been changed. And so we realize that forgiveness matters to God. And it matters to God, you know why? Because this entire thing we called Christianity was built unforgiveness the whole thing 
The whole thing was one man knew that you were never going to make it. So he went to a cross, and God let his son die and take the punishment of your sins so you should be and can be forgiven. And then he went to a grave, and he came out of a grave so to show that he does actually have power over life and death. So this thing about forgiveness, it is ground zero for God. It is the ball game, all of it. And if you don't get that part right, none of it matters. None of it. And that's why love has to be perfected. So this morning I'm going to ask you, do you really know what it means to be forgiven? Because it shows up in your ability to forgive You know, you often don't think about sharing something with somebody like a tweet or an email or sending them a sermon or sending them a podcast. You don't often think of that as missions, but it is. It's not that you have to send it to the whole world or post every single thing we do at Clearview on your feed. But if if you've heard a sermon or if you've listened to a podcast, think through your life. I mean, God, who needs to hear this? Sometimes it, it, it doesn't go on your Facebook page. Sometimes it needs to go on your Twitter, but sometimes just a simple text to one person can make all the difference in the world to sending them the Word of God in real time. Share it. You'd be surprised how far it goes.